Turn in your scriptures to the book of John. Today we are in John chapter 21. We'll be in verses 15 through 25. We are going to wrap up our journey through the gospel of John today. Um, we're going to look at John's conclusion, which is quite interesting because John's, whereas other gospels focus, Mark ends at the resurrection, Matthew and Luke end at the ascension. John ends with a very personal story of restoration, redirection, and refocusing. So read with me from John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if, you want him to if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not, have, would not have room for the books that would be written. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, you promise us that through your word we can be filled with knowledge, knowledge of who you are. We can be filled with understanding, understanding of the glories that you give to us in our lives and wisdom, wisdom to apply the truths of the scriptures to this world and to our life in this world. Or today we pray that not only do you give us knowledge, but that you also give us wisdom and understanding so that as we leave, we might glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us have failed at any type of endeavor? Most of us don't like to admit it, but failure unfortunately is a part of life, whether it's failure in a job or failure in a relationship. But sometimes failure can be made even worse. How about the braggart, the person who proclaims loudly that he is going to do something important? Back in 2010, LeBron James left the Cleveland Cavaliers and signed with the Miami Heat. And in a pep rally that he was very much criticized for, LeBron James promised seven national NBA titles to the city of Miami, beginning with that very year. Most of the criticism came when he failed that very year to bring home the first of the seven titles. And of course, the criticism got worse when he left once again. 
to go back to Cleveland. When we fail in very public promises, the humiliation can be great. And that's what we're going to look at today. We, we remember Peter from the rest of God's, John's gospel, as well as the other two gospels, or three gospels, excuse me. We remember that his, his promises were always very large. His proclamations were always very loud. And he proclaimed to Jesus before Jesus was betrayed that the crucifixion would not happen. And whatever Peter had to do to stop the crucifixion, Peter would do. And yet, what did Peter actually do? As Jesus was in his trial, Peter found himself asked, were you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, no, 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 not me. You've got me confused with somebody else. He did that three times. And so as Jesus appears to the disciples here in Galilee, we see that Jesus confronts Peter. And Jesus confronts Peter to restore him, to redirect him, and to refocus him. So first, we're going to look at how Jesus restores Peter through a relationship, and he restores him realistically. First, relationally, Jesus restores Peter face to face. Peter's offense was directly against God and so against Jesus. And so Jesus goes to Peter and he asks him these three questions. He says, do you love me? Now, there's an interesting play on words here, and it's, it's found in how Jesus phrases the first question, how Jesus phrases the first two questions, and how Peter answers all three questions. First, Peter at, or Jesus asked Peter, he said, do you love me more than these? Now, many people have tried to figure out what Jesus meant by this. Do you love me more than the fishing boats and the nets that you went back to as soon as life got difficult? Or do you love me more than you love these other men who are here, these disciples, these friends of yours? Do you love me more than their friends? But I think if we look at this in relationship of Peter's life with Jesus and Peter's words to Jesus, Jesus is, it seems as though Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? And what this is, is this is an opportunity for Peter to brag again. Jesus, I am going to follow you to death if necessary. Jesus had proclaimed that I am the most loyal disciple. I'm the best disciple. I am the one who will follow you anywhere, even if the rest of these fall away. And yet he fell away just like they did. And so Jesus confronts Peter with that. He says, do you really love me more than these guys do? Because that's what you've proclaimed. And that's where you failed. But Jesus doesn't only ask Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus uses a word, a word that we most of us know as agape, agape love, which in John's writings typically just means a love that finds its source in God. And Jesus says, do you love me with a love that finds its source in God? And Peter answers with a word that John uses to signify love that has a source in humanity. He says, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, well, I, the best I can do is phileo you or love you with a human-sourced love. So Jesus asked Peter again, do you love me with a God-sourced love, a God-sized love? Peter says, you know, the best I can do is this, this human love. And then he finally, Jesus says, Okay, I'll take that. Do you love me with the human love? 
And Peter gets upset, and he gets upset because he's reminded when Jesus asked him the third time, he's reminded of that third time that he betrayed Jesus. And Peter says, yes, I love you with a human source love. And what we see from this is relationally, Jesus is willing to meet Peter where he is. Peter has professed a God-sized love in the, in the past, but today the best he can muster is a human-sized love, a love that is sourced in humanity. And so what Jesus does is he comes to Peter and he accepts that love, that failing, faltering love that Peter finally honestly proclaims for Jesus. Whenever we struggle with our relationship with God, how many of us are tempted to say, let's say in the area of prayer, how many of us are tempted to say, starting right now, I am going to pray every single day for the rest of my life? That's usually my temptation when I struggle with prayer. When I've gone for a dry spell for a while, my temptation is to say, Jesus, I love you so much that I will never miss another day of prayer. In one week, two weeks, maybe if I'm lucky, two weeks and a day later, I've skipped a day of prayer. But what Jesus will accept from us is, Jesus, I love you enough to pray right now. I can't promise you every day for the rest of my life, but I love you enough to pray right now. The addict, the alcoholic, if you go to an AA meeting, the alcoholic not only says, I will never touch another drink in my life, because if that's all they say, they will fail. The alcoholic says, I'm not going to take the next drink. The person struggling with smoking says, I am not going to take the next cigarette. The person struggling with online addiction says, I am not going to look at that website today or right now. Because if all we do is brag about how we're never going to do it again, we set ourselves up for failure. But what Jesus needs from us is to hear that we love you enough to do it right now. We love you enough to serve you right now. We love you enough to avoid temptation right now. So Jesus restores Peter relationally and realistically, understanding that Peter could not give him the God-sized love, but he could take from Peter the human-sized love. But Jesus also redirects Peter. After he restores him, he gives him two commands. We're going to look at the second one first. The second command that Jesus gives him is, follow me. Now for the world, in John, the world is anybody who does not believe and has eternal life, does not believe and therefore does not have eternal life. And so the command to follow is to believe, is to understand that we are sinners in the sight of God without hope before a righteous and holy God, a God who expects perfection out of people in order to get eternal life, but provided perfection that they could not attain, provided perfection that they could not get for themselves through the work of His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for the world, for the non-believer, follow me means simply to believe. But for Peter, follow me means something different. Because he is a believer, he is out of the world. And for you and I, follow me means something different as well. Jesus tells Peter, He says, when you're young, you go where you want, you dress as you want, you do what you want. But when you're older, somebody's going to lead you, somebody's going to stretch out your hand, and somebody is going to dress you. And you're going to go where you do not want to go. And John tells us that's a picture of how Peter is going to die. 
We know for sure that Peter was crucified under the reign of Nero. Legend tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that a Savior did, but that's probably more legend. And so we can't know for sure, but we do know historically that he was crucified. And so Peter, in his proclamation that he would follow Jesus to the cross, was speaking better truth than he thought. He just wasn't going to do it right then. It was going to be 30 years down the road. And Jesus, Jesus gives him this prediction. He says, you're going to have a ministry. As the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and John in the book of Acts and the rest of the disciples, they do a lot to grow the church. 30 years of ministry under the promise that at the end of that ministry is a cross, is a crucifixion. And so for, for Peter, following Jesus is carrying that cross, bearing that cross day by day whether it's in the daily activities of following Jesus or whether it's in the actual bearing of the cross at the end of his life. Jesus says, follow me. But part of following him for Peter is also feeding the flock. Do you love me? Peter says, yes. Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Peter says, yes. Well, then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Peter says, yes. Then take care of my sheep. Peter was given the job of a shepherd. Peter was given sheep to shepherd, the churches that he led, the church in Rome that we know of for sure, the church in Jerusalem for a while. Peter was given these flocks to lead and to feed. Each and every one of us has a flock to lead and to feed. The families and friends that God has given to us are our flocks. Fellow church members, if we are in a position of leadership within the church, fellow church members are the flock that we have been given. And we are to lead them. We are to feed them. We are to shepherd them. We are to bind up their wounds. And we are to lead them to the cross where they can find forgiveness and peace. So Jesus restores Peter. Jesus redirects Peter. And then Jesus refocuses Peter. Peter and Jesus have had this conversation. And as they're walking along the shore of the lake, Peter turns around and he notices that his good friend John is following him. In the book of John, whenever you see these words, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's code word for John. He's talking about himself there. Not that he, Jesus didn't love the other disciples, but in a, in, a, in a scene of humility, John just doesn't refer to himself by name. He refers to himself anonymously throughout his gospel. Peter and John had become good, good friends. In the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see Peter and John together quite frequently. And in their three years together, and they probably knew each other beforehand, we don't know for sure, but there is a, there, there's a possibility, both of them being fishermen, both of them being from Galilee, they might have known each other before. But over the three years of Jesus' ministry, they'd gotten to know each other and they'd become deep, deep friends and Peter's just been given this prediction that he's going to die serving Jesus. And Peter sees his good friend. And out of what I think is love and concern, he goes, what about my friend John? Is he going to be all right? Is he going to be okay? And what does Jesus tell him? He gives this kind of long cryptic sentence that John explains, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But what Jesus basically tells Peter is, it's none of your business. Focus on what I've given you to do. Focus on the flock I've given you. Focus on the family I've given you. Oftentimes when we sit in church, we, sit around, we have a temptation to sit around and look around and go, well, I wonder, I wonder what so-and-so is doing to expand the kingdom of God today. Or I wonder what so-and-so is doing to, to 
grow in their knowledge and their love for Jesus Christ. Jesus says, it's none of your business. What are you doing to expand the kingdom of God today? What are you doing to grow in your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ? Yes, we are here to support one another. Yes, we are to encourage each other in that mission. But when it comes down to the action of the day, each of us has what we are supposed to do. And Jesus says, don't worry about what the other people are doing. Focus on what you are doing. And he tells Peter, he says, look, if I choose to wait until, to, if I choose to come back sometime before John dies and after you do, that's my business, not yours. That's John's business, not yours. And the church at the time, you know, when, when John wrote this particular book, Peter had already been crucified. John was an old man. It was near the end of the first century. Churches had taken this statement and they had kind of twisted it around. They're, it's almost like they're sitting there watching John. You know what? He's getting older every day. The older he gets, the closer we are to Jesus coming back because Jesus said he would, he would come back before John died. And so John corrects that here. He said, no, that's not what Jesus said at all. All he said was, if it is my will that that would happen, what business of it is yours? What business of it is yours? And he refocuses Peter. He said, focus on the mission I give you. Encourage John in his mission, but focus on what I have given you to do. So John reminds us that Jesus restores Peter. John reminds us that Peter, or Jesus redirects Peter. And John reminds us that Jesus refocuses Peter. And then John wraps up this gospel with this verse. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And that should really make us turn back to verse 30 and 31 of the previous chapter. Jesus did many other miracles, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We come back around here to the call to follow me. There's a lot of things Jesus did that none of the gospel writers wrote down that we'll never know these things that Jesus did, but the things that were recorded specifically by John, more broadly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the, all of the Gospels, those things were written down so that we could follow, so that we could believe, so that we would have enough evidence driven by the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can believe and have eternal life. The take home from this for us though is that Peter had to do something Gabber Mate, who is a, a medical doctor in, in the, uh, the Portland Health Services in Vancouver, British Columbia, works with drug addicts. Now, the Portland Health Service is centered in the old Portland Hotel in, in downtown Vancouver, and it is a hotel that has been converted to residential facility for drug addicts. And the only thing you have to do to be there is to show up to Dr. Mate's office every day or three times a week, however many times you're told to show up there and take your medicine the way you're supposed to. If you miss a couple doctor's appointments, you're evicted from the Portland Health Service. And it's not a great place to live, but it's a place where they can live and get help for their addiction. But he says oftentimes people are so tied to their drugs that they can't take it. And they leave the Portland Health Service they leave the, the marginal safety of this home and they go live on the streets to get their fix. And he says, every now and then you'll have one that'll come back. And all they have to do to come back is to approach the doctor, approach Dr. Mate and some of his associates. 
and say, I'm ready to try again. I'm ready to live here again, and I'm ready to try and get clean again. And there are a few people that graduate from the program and, and get off of drugs. He says, but oftentimes this is a lifelong process. He said, I bring these people in for their first visit. I bring them in for their second visit. I bring them in for their third time, and then I bury them. It's our life right there, oftentimes. Oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we have failed God. We have sinned. And we are out on the streets as far as God is concerned. We have given up not the, not the shady housing of the Portland Health Service, but we've given up the glorious presence of God to chase our own desires, to chase our own addictions, to chase our own things. And God is there. Jesus is there to redirect to restore and to refocus us. But we have to do something else as well. We have to repent. See, Peter could have kept running. Peter had that option. It's hard to run from the eternal and omnipotent and omnipresent God, but Peter could have kept running. But when Jesus approached him, he repented. Yes, I love you with a broken, faltering, sinful human love, but I love you. And when we fail, when we falter, when we focus more on our neighbor instead of ourselves, when we forget the mission that we have been given by God, and when we shake our fist in the restoration that Jesus has bought for us, all we have to do is repent, and He gathers us back into His arms. And when even the best that we can muster is, I've got this human falling, failing love that's going to fail you over and over again. He says, you may not agape me, but I agape you. I love you with an eternal, unfailing love, that steadfast love that lasts forever. And it's ours for the repentance that we bring. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, break our hearts so that we repent. Break our hearts about our sins so that we approach you and be restored to you. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.